this passage today, one of the things that we do at Fellowship is expository teaching is we're word-centered. We take each verse, verse by verse, and we're walking through the book of James. So if you're a guest with us, we've been walking chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of James. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at James 4, 1 through 10. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, if you've ever read it, is a book that's not so much a theological work on hell and heaven, but it's a, it's a literary book that's talking about uh, what would it be like to picture what pride does to a person where they would rather choose to be isolated and separate from God than to be in God's presence where they would have to give up control and give up their way of doing things. And so in the book, you see that there's this, there's this opportunity for people to move from hell to heaven to be with God, but they choose to stay in isolation in their bitterness because it would mean giving up their control or giving up what they think is true life and more pleasurable than being with God. They would actually have to give that up. And so in his work and talking about this, C.S. Lewis and talking about desires and what James is talking about has this quote. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to each one of us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. James paints a very similar picture in our pleasures being the center of what drives us and actually leading us to opposition of what God has for us and actually opposition to God himself. It makes us proud. And so when faced with an opportunity in Lewis's book, they actually choose isolation and darkness and lack of community in every sense of the word rather than to give up what they think is the most pleasure. And so it just shows how blind they were to that. Sin can easily be equated, we saw last week, of choosing our own path rather than the path that God has for us and submitting our lives to him and what his direction. So here's a promise in James 4 that we're going to get to. God will always draw near to those who choose to draw near to God. So opposition towards drawing to God is always a matter of pride, which we're going to focus on today. Those who do not see a need for God will not see God. Today, I hope you see even greater need for God and a desire to draw near to him as we walk through our text. So if you have your Bibles, would you open to James 4, 1 through 10? Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a, a Bible in your seat back right in front of you, or you can uh, follow along on your phone as well. We're going to start in verse 1 and kind of work our way through. So James is going to open up, and he's going to open up with a question to us. And before we read on past this question, I just want to ask this question, then I want you to answer it uh, right where you are. So James is asking the question, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? So I want you to, I want you to answer this. If you were to answer what causes quarrels and conflicts in your life right now, fill in the blank, what is the cause of conflicts and quarrels in your life? What is your answer? You don't have to say it out loud, okay? Someone did in first service and they said, selfish spouse. And I was like, please, probably shouldn't have said that. Um, I, don't know if I don't know if their spouse was next to them, but I want you to think about like what in your mind, like what causes fights and quarrels and conflicts uh, uh, among you? You can choose selfish spouse if, you, if, if that's what you think. 
Okay, if you filled in the blank uh, before we go on to what James says, I think most of us probably would answer the thing that causes quarrels and fights and conflicts among us is external things. Like it's, Eric, if you only knew the coworkers that I worked with at work, they're the reason I have quarrels and, and fights and, and conflicts. Or if you only knew, like, my kids are driving me nuts. You know what I mean? I've been on spring break all week, and we didn't go to uh, 30A, Dustin, and we've been here. Right? You know, like, I'm ready for school to start. Like, think about, think about what, you're, what you're saying. You're saying external things are the reason why you have conflicts, are the reason why you have quarrels and fights. But let's look at what James says. James 1, uh, ver- verse 1b is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Now, I love what James did here. He did a statement question. Have you ever been around anyone who does statement questions? Like, oh, you chose to wear that today. That's a statement question, okay? So that's what James, that's what James does. He's not really asking their question. He's giving us his opinion, right? He says, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? So over the next three verses, he, James is gonna build on his argument of that, right? Because we would look at this text and say, no, like really, the, the quarrels and fights are external things. James is going to say, no, they're, they're internal. Let's see what he says, verse two through four. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So James is very clearly saying, if you're looking at the world and the reason for your conflicts and quarrels and you're pointing externally, he's saying, no, you actually need to turn back and say the fights and quarrels and conflicts among you happen where? Because of internal. He's pointing internal to our lives. And these three verses you know, James is one of, the, one of the New Testament authors who quotes Jesus either directly or indirectly from Jesus' source of teaching more than any other New Testament book does. So when I was looking at this, I was just like, okay, is, is James uh, sourcing anything from Jesus' teaching in the Gospels? And, I, and I, I think that James, when he's starting to unpack this, is picking up on what Jesus is talking about in the Gospels about our internal life is where things go haywire and then they show up externally. Think about what Jesus is talking about in someone's internal life. When he says things like this, um, it's not the outside things that you put into your body that make you unclean, but it's the internal things that make you unclean that come out. It's, it's not, you know, he's talking to the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees, you look good on the outside, but the inside you are like tombs where there's death and decay, a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. These are all things that Jesus is talking about of the wickedness coming out from within that shows up externally. So James, in picking up on these things, I think is, is following along in the sermon of what we would call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. So just encourage you guys to write that down. Read Matthew 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7 this week. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus starts to unpack internal things and makes, makes things uh, more about the in, internal life. Because think about what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said... And it's just talking about murder. So James is, is, is talking, he has a correlation of murder in here. You have heard it said, do not murder. 
But I tell you, anyone who has anger in their heart towards a brother is liable to judgment. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But then what is Jesus going to say? But I go to tell you, I go on to tell you that if anyone looks lustfully at a woman who he's married to, he does what? He commits adultery in his heart. So Jesus, now think about how revolutionary this would have been for Jesus to communicate these things about the Ten Commandments or about the commandments that they would have known very, very familiar with. And he's saying, okay, it's one thing to obey and it's another thing of internal obedience. So he is kind of shedding light on internal obedience of these things. I mean, you and I would look at uh, the Ten Commandments and I would say like, hey, uh, hey, how are you guys doing? Have you, have you murdered anyone this week? You'd be like, no, I haven't murdered anyone this week. And it's like, oh, you guys are doing so good. Like you guys, are, you, guys are, you guys are nailing it, you know? But think about all the Ten Commandments. Jesus is actually, is actually pointing to a fact of our need is not just to obey something externally, but our greatest need is what? Internal obedience as well. Because Jesus is pointing to them and saying, you cannot obey these commandments on your own. He's making them impossible to obey without God, without a change of the internal life of the person. So while we would say, uh, the fights and quarrels are, are, are things externally. Jesus is saying, no, the inside always comes out. It's the inside that needs to be addressed. What kind of fruit are you seeing externally? Here's, here's how I'm getting here. Now, look, there's a word that's really gonna unpack what James is talking about in these, in these 10 verses. And he uses it in, in one way very specifically and then a, a, a couple different words that get around the same meaning. And it's the word Lust. Lust in the Greek is epithumeo, and it means a desire or to covet or long for. So it's something that you have longed for or you're coveting or desiring that becomes an over-desire that you, you have to have it in order to be satisfied. So it's a longing for something forbidden that you feel like you have to have it and covet after, and you're envious of it to the place where it's an over-desire where it consumes your life. So epithumeo. When this word shows up, usually when we th- see the word lust, what do we think of? Like, like sexual lust, right? This, this term is used all throughout the New Testament. I'm going to point this out. All throughout the New Testament to convey an internal motivation of a desire that becomes an over-desire of where you see something that you don't have and you're so consumed by it that you have to have it. That's, the, that's what the word is grasping at. Let me, let me show you the, t- the two other places where it shows of the New Testament, where it talks about the pattern of what James is gonna show, the same root word it goes back to. We looked at it in James 1, 14 through 15. Rob taught on this message about temptation. And James uses this word twice in these two verses. And I wanna show you where he does. Uh, Verse 14, 15, it's gonna be on the screen or you can flip back. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now the word there is epithumia, which has the same root word, epithumio. And is this, when lust has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings death. So what is he saying? You lust after something, you have a desire for something, something you don't have. You're enticed by something you don't have. It takes root in you, right? And then it gives birth, and then what happens? You go and you, you take it, and it what leads to death. There's another place where it shows this process of kind of what James is talking about, of the, over, the desire that becomes an over-desire, this word lust. It's in Romans chapter 1, 24. 
And it's the same kind of process of leading someone to destruction. Again, James is saying it leads to opposition of God. And, and James is, is kind of pulling this out, that this internal life leads us to further brokenness. Romans 1.24. Therefore, God gave them over in their lust of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So they internalize this lie and it's so darken their thinking that they end up not worshiping God, but they worship what? The creation. They become so consumed by the lust in their heart they're so desirous of that, so the over-desire in that way, that they say, I need this, and this is actually where life is found, and I'm going to go not to the source of life, but I'm going to go to what God has created to find pleasure and to find fulfillment. So James is saying the same process in this way that we saw in chapter 1, 14, 15, and in Romans. This lust leads them to hostility towards God. It leads them to be opposed at what God has for them and to be opposed to God directly in this way. Idolatry, false worship, it always starts with an over-desire, a lust for more, envy for what we don't have. And then we think that life is found apart from God and we go chasing after that in order to fill ourselves. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about this, but our pleasure then becomes king. And idolatry is anything that we put on the throne of God as more important to God. I have to have this in order to find fulfillment. So this thing, whatever that thing is, it happens from the inside out. Idolatry is putting our functional trust in something other than God. And going back to what we talked about last week, it's choosing our own path rather than what God has laid out for us. That's the very essence of what is continuing on here. Let's look at verses five through eight, continue through this. Or do you think that the scriptures speak to no purpose? He jealously desires a spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then here's a promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The spirit within us, so what is he talking about here? The spirit within us is jealous. He's, he, and then the scriptures, what is he talking about? Well, think about all the times in the Old Testament where it says that God was jealous or God uh, desired their worship and they turned from him and went to, uh, to worship other gods, false gods. Now think about when, when it says that God was, is a jealous God. What's happening there is that they're turning their worship from God to other things, to look from, to life. They're shifting their trust from God to other things. And so God is a jealous God. Why? Because he has created all things. He knows what is out there. He knows that true life is only found in him. He's the creator. He's the only one true God and sustainer of all life. And so when they turn from him, what are they doing? They're turning to something that they will not find life in. And not just that, it's not just for God's namesake that he's jealous. He's also jealous for our own good. For when we worship other things, when we turn to other things, we will never find what we were meant to find and to find our life in the giver of life and creator of life itself. And then there's this phrase, but he gives a greater grace. 
I love that phrase. Uh, I, I tend to think of it as grace upon grace. So okay, what's the first grace, a greater grace? What's the first grace? Well, God has given us an opportunity in a way through Jesus to be able to be made right with him, to be reconciled to him. Like we can have a relationship with God. That is grace. Like he has looked at us and while we were yet choosing our own path, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in order to be in relationship with God. That is, that is grace, the greater grace. What is he talking about here? Look at what he gives us. Who dwells within us now? If we choose God if, if God, if we are made right with God and we put our faith and trust in him, what do we get? We have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and the spirit within us is greater than the spirit of the world, which is opposition to God. The spirit of the world is in opposition to God, but the spirit that dwells within us is a greater grace because we now can overcome what? The world. We do not have to give into these desires of the flesh to fill ourselves and to find pleasure apart from God. We actually have a greater grace that dwells within us. So think about when it goes on to say, but God opposes the proud, but gives, gives what to the humble? Grace. The spirit does a work within us. So if we actually submit to God, i.e. the spirit, the spirit is God dwelling within us, then the spirit can do a work within our hearts that we cannot do on our own. We cannot follow the law the way that Jesus talks about without the Spirit. So those who try to walk this life without the Spirit are going to be walking this life with saying, I have no need for God. But we see, we have a, we have a great need for God. So humble yourselves, verse 10, before the Lord. Don't resist the work of God, but humble yourselves. If you say, I don't need your Spirit, then you're saying, I don't need you, God. But in humility, we ask for God to do a work in us. We ask for God to change our hearts, to change our desires, to change uh, where we have over desires, where we have these lusts, to cleanse and purify our hearts, renew our minds from being double-minded, as it says here, to embrace the truth of his word and how he calls us to live. We can be empowered by his spirit that dwells within us to walk in this way. That is a grace upon grace. That is a greater grace that he gives us the means. He not only makes us right with God, but he gives us the means to walk with him. That's greater grace. And I want to show you uh, just tangibly, what is, what is James 4 um, talking about? You know, as we, if we walk through the, the wholehearted series, and our mission is to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus. I want to just unpack a little bit of what James is saying with the heart. He's saying there's the internal life of a person matters. And what, he, what I believe James is, is looking at is when the heart is living apart from God and disintegrated, we start to see all sorts of internal things happen that lead to external problems. You not only see ex internal things waging war, you see over-desire start to happen where someone starts living for pleasure. Well, what is that called? That's called hedonism. If you've ever heard that term, hedonism is just putting pleasure as king of your life and saying pleasure is the thing that I want to live for and that I'm going to choose that. So think about what James is saying. You desire and you what? 
You try to fill yourself. You know, you desire, so you do. You, you, hedonism is, is saying, I feel like doing something, so I'm gonna go do it. That's gonna make me feel good. Or I have a desire or this over desire for something and I go choose it. That is what, that's what's happening when we give way to that and we live out of our lust. We're actually choosing something out of an over desire in us because we're saying this thing is actually gonna give us life. This thing is actually gonna fill us. So you might, you might turn and say, you know what? I have a desire to get that person's approval. So I'm gonna do whatever I can to fill that desire and get their approval. Or I have a desire, an over-desire to control life. Like I, I wanna make sure there's nothing that's gonna happen that's out of, my, out of my realm of control. So that's my desire, it becomes an over-desire where I am so consumed by that that I'll manipulate even people to get what I want. You ever, you ever seen like, if you just watch commercials, it's like they're, they're tapping into our desires and they're tapping into our feelings of like, well, don't you want that? I mean, don't you want to be happy? Well, look at your neighbor. He doesn't have that. You know, like you, you can have that. You know, like it's, it's talking about your pleasure center of just operating out of that and just making these choices. So that's one of the things that James is, is talking about. What's causing the fights and quarrels among you, the conflict? Is it not that you are narcissistic and saying it's about you? You want this. You desire this. You're choosing this. And it's out of this that we see all sorts of things going sideways within us and externally in our world. Pride is what keeps us in opposition to what God wants and desires for our lives. It's saying, I want this, so I'm gonna choose this. So pride is gonna keep us to opposition. So when we live divided lives, we end up harming not only ourselves, but also significantly damage the relationships around us. We compartmentalize life. So how, how do we turn from our pride? How do we, how do we change uh, this, this way of, of living where these internal things and these internal motivations and envious and coveting after, like how do we, how do we change that? But I think God gives us this greater grace. So here's, here's what I, I wanna talk about. When we, when we typically talk about repentance, or changing our, our ways. What I've, what I've noticed in the church is that we typically just focus on the choice that we made. So again, go back to what causes quarrels and, and conflicts among you. We, in, most all of us, we look at, well, it's the external things. It's external, like the people over there or external things that are causing things or is choices. Here's what happens when we just focus on the choice that we make. So let's say we are able to identify a way where we're choosing our own path or identify a sin in our life and we just focus on the choice we made. Well, there's a couple things that happen. We're not actually understanding why we made that choice. We're just focusing on, we, just, we went after something and so we're just focusing on the behavior. If you just focus on the behavior, then your tendency is to address sin and just talk about those type of things in ways of just behavior modification. If I just modify the behavior, then uh, I'll, be, I'll be made right. What quickly happens is I, as I talk with, with people, what quickly happens is in behavior modification, it becomes really easy to think that you are the one that's defeating the sin. So, okay, I haven't, I haven't screwed up or I haven't done this or I haven't done this pattern in a couple weeks. 
Like, I'm doing really good. Did you notice who is at the center of that? I, I'm doing really good. But then what happens when you make this choice again? You go to shame. You're like, oh, I screwed up again. Okay, so the reason why I screwed up, and you, look, you start looking at your behaviors, and you say, I need to, I need to pray more, I need to do more. It's because I didn't do enough. You know, so then what do you do? Well, you try to do more. You know what I mean? And this pattern just keeps going over and, and over again. I think what James is offering us this morning is an opportunity to see a greater grace, an opportunity to dive into the internal life, to, to kind of see what is going on and why we made these choices. So it's, we're gonna, I'm going to walk you through this tool called wholehearted repentance. So what does it look like to invite God into, to draw near to God, invite his spirit to do a work in our hearts and to look at the choices that we make and see the internal motivations and desires at work? What does that look like? Okay, so when you came in, you should have got a, a piece of paper, okay? I want you to pull that out. <clears throat> so wholehearted repentance is this tool that I, I want to teach you this morning. When we repent with our whole hearts, what we're doing is we're understanding not only the depth of our, our depravity, but why we chose what we chose. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to dive into kind of the internal desires, the temptations, the motivations, where we're envious or where we're coveting after something. God is for us. Like he has given us his spirit to walk with us, to show us. Uh, he knows us. This is the great truth. God knows you. God sees you. You don't need to hide from God. Like he already knows. So when we embrace him with, with honesty, we're, we're gonna see this. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw a heart on your paper and then I want you to make the kind of the quadrants here where it's divided into four. Where thoughts is gonna go on the upper left, choices on the, on the bottom right, desires on the bottom left, and then choices on the, on the upper right. Okay, so once you have that, I actually this morning wanna walk you through what would wholehearted repentance look like in your life? Okay, I want you to think about a, pl a place or a time in the last week, in the last two weeks, in the last month, or a pattern that keeps coming up where you keep, you recognize that this choice is sinful. It's, it's, it's choosing my own path. It's not what God has for me. It's causing harm in my relationships. What is that for you? Okay, I want you to identify that. Now, confession is just agreeing with God. It's saying, I recognize and agree with God that this is harmful. This is not right. This is not life. This is not what God has commanded. This is not what God wants. This is choosing my own path. So we're agreeing. We're confessing with God. We're agreeing with God that this is not good for us. And then you might pray. That you, just, you can write this down. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. You might, you might just pray this before you start this process. Here's Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything that in me that offends you and lead me in the path of everlasting life. Okay, so we don't sin in vagueness, we sin in specifics. Okay, so it's not just like, oh, I probably harmed somebody, this, you know, or I probably wasn't nice. No, it's like, well, how weren't you nice? <laughs> like, how were you a jerk? You know what I mean? Like, like be specific. So that's the choice. So once you've identified the place where you're agreeing with God, like this is off, this is choosing my own path, what I want you to do is I want you to just put a little circle right here and then we're gonna make a diagonal line down to desires and just make a line all the way down to desires. Now desires in this place of your heart, this is where your motivations come out. 
This is your desires that have become an over-desire. So this is asking the question, why did I choose this? We're getting into the motivations of why you chose that. So just ask yourself, what, what, was, I, what was I desiring in this moment? Was there something that I was, I was trusting other than God? Was it out of fear? What was, what was it that I, was, I felt like I was entitled to that I was desiring in that moment? Okay, then I want you to keep that, just keep that line going and we're gonna curve it and we're gonna come right over to emotions. What were you feeling in the moment? Were you angry? Were you fearful? Did you have some anxiety in you? Uh, was it shame, entitlement, fear? Now, emotions are just kind of gauges in, in the human system just to tell us and be aware of something, but we can respond to them positively or negatively. What were you feeling in the moment? And I want you to keep that line connected and I want you to turn and then I want you to go diagonal through the heart up to thoughts. Think about what Romans 124 says. It says they replaced the truth with what? A lie. So what was the lie you were believing? Like what was the sin promising you? Was it promising you like if you only had this, then you'd be happy? Like if you only got your way, then like what was, what was the lie you were believing at that point where you would, you would willingly choose something? What was the lie? You're kind of uncovering. What was the lie that I was believing? Now, one of the things about James 4 that he's saying is that God offers us a greater grace that he has given us the spirit within us. So when we repent with our whole hearts, not just of our action, what we're seeing is that we need Jesus more than we thought we did even when we started this process. And the cross is at the center that brings everything together. And so we actually invite Jesus into this. We say, God, I need your spirit to be able to turn from these. So repentance, this word repentance, repent, just means to turn. Just means to pull a 180. It means to, if you're going this way, to change direction. So we're gonna go back through the heart the different, a different way, but right now we're gonna pause and we're gonna, we're gonna say, God, thank you that you give me your spirit. Thank me that I, I don't have to live this way. God, I don't want to continue living in this pattern to continue looking for life apart from you, continue filling myself with pleasures that won't satisfy. God, would you show me a different way? So right now, let's just go to God in prayer. Would, what does it look like for you to say, engage God <clears throat> honestly right now to thank him and invite, invite him in to turn and confess, but to, to repent at this level and say, God, I want something different. And I know you do as well. Let's pray. God, we recognize that this is all by grace, that you offer a greater grace in this moment to empower us to turn, to recognize, to be aware of where we have desires that are becoming over desires and to be envy and coveting after things. God, would you help us see that life and true life is only found in you? 
God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the finished work on the cross. Thank you that I am not doing this alone. Thank you that I'm reconciled to you, not because of my work or anything that I could do, but because of what you've done for me on your behalf. God, would you help me walk with your spirit? I ask, and I, I wanna draw near to you right now. Amen. So now let's, let's turn. We're actually gonna make, make the turn. We are gonna replace the lies with the truth. What is the truth of the good news of Jesus that you need to be reminded of, of who God is, that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God knows you, he sees you, that God loves you, that he is the source of life. Like what is the truth that you need to replace the lie and combat the lie with? What is that truth for you? God sees and knows. This is where if you have a scripture in in, in mind, write it it down. How do these truths uh, combat the lies you have a tendency to believe? Then we're gonna go over, so you're gonna start up here, you're going through the cross and you're gonna come down <clears throat> to emotions. How does the good news of Jesus impact you emotionally? Think about that, that, that God so loved you that he, he sent his only son for you. How does that impact you emotionally, that you are secure in Christ, that you don't have to operate out of your works and insecurities, but you are actually secure in what Jesus has done for you? that he loves you and he sees you and you are now adopted son and daughter. What does that do and impact you emotionally? Then if we're continuing down, we're gonna come back over and we're gonna come to our desires. What was the God-given desires that you actually have that became an over-desire? For many times, it's just the, it's just the over-desire piece, right? Many of us, we want to be known. We want to be in relationship. We want to be loved for who we are, not just what we do. Like those are, those are God-given desires to be in community. So what, are, what were those desires in you that what does it look like to replace the over-desire with a, a God-given desire in you to align those, to return to the way that God has wired us? And then the next one. So if we start up here in the heart, come down to the emotions, and then we come cross, we go through the cross, And we say, okay, the greater grace is that he's given you the spirit to empower you to make a choice that's different than what you made before on your own. What is a a choice that honors God look like? What would would that be in in this moment? It might be going back to somebody and saying, I was wrong. Like I was operating, I harmed you. It might be asking for forgiveness, reconciling with somebody. In this, in this moment, it might be making a choice. It says, God, I need to be more aware. I need, to, I need to do more work with you. God, I'm recognizing that I am living life apart from you and I need to start making these choices. But we, we cannot make these choices apart from God at the center of our heart, helping us in those moments. And the thing that, the thing that begins to shift is this greater grace. The thing that shifted for me is that normally when we talk about, uh, when we talk about where grace is needed, we usually just talk about grace is needed because of a choice that we made. But there's a greater grace. You don't have to wait to screw up to experience grace. Okay? So you don't have to just wait till after you've already screwed up. Here's the thing. The greater grace is that the Spirit of God lives in you. And so at the moment of temptation, you can be honest with God and say, God, I am so tempted right now. Like, I want to turn towards this thing. 
God, would you help me in this moment identify what I'm seeking after so that I don't actually have to make that choice? That's grace. Like grace in the moments of temptation, we invite God in. We draw near to him. And what is, what is the promise in James 4 say? If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So in these moments, we actually invite God in. Like when we're in a fight with our spouse, right? And we're disagreeing. I don't have to wait until I've already like screwed up. I can invite God in the moment and say, God, there is something going on waging war within me right now. Like my desires, I feel are all haywire. Like I have an overdesire. I feel entitled. I feel angry. God, I invite you into this process. What would it look like for you to invite your spouse into that process? That's a greater grace. Like we can actually give access to the people that we're around and, and to God of, to be able to journey through this with him. This is, I mean, James 4, like, and when I started walking through it this week, I was just like, James is tapping into something where if we just focus on the externals, we miss it. But when we start to see that the, it's the internal life that is waging war that causes all sorts of quarrels and fights and conflicts among us, I don't need to look, look externally and just change things externally. I need a savior here. I need help internally. I need help to navigate this. And so I hope that this is just a helpful tool for you to be able just to navigate life with and just be able to just like in the moment and with God to be able to process and engage God with your whole heart in those moments. Would you guys stand with me? I'm gonna, I wanna read a, a prayer from Paul over us this morning as a, as a way of benediction. This, is, this prayer is one of my favorite prayers in, in all of scripture and it ta- it's from Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. And I just wanna pray this for you as we, as we leave this morning. I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to know and grasp how wide and deep and high the love of Christ is for you. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that he would be filled up to the measure of all fullness of God. Now, here's the thing. I don't know where you are at with God. If you feel like, you know, maybe you're visiting with, with friends or, or family in, in town and, and you feel far from God, I want you to know that God desires for you to draw near to him. That he wants you to know that there is a God who loves you, who sees you and wants to journey and walk with you and create a way, a way of living life with him. You might be in a place where it's like, I have been living a pattern of brokenness over and over again, Eric, and I'm in a place where I just feel stuck. I feel like this pattern, I just keep going to this pattern. I want you to know that there's hope. There is a greater grace for you this morning, what it looks like to view to journey with God in that. And I just, I want to just communicate that, that we have up here, we have a place to kneel that if you want to come and pray, we have a couple up here that would love to pray with you as well. And so as you go, know that the grace of God is sufficient and there is a greater grace for you.